0: Good morning, welcome to Fremont Community Church. Uh, If you're joining us online or you're here in person, it's great to have you here. My name's Eric, I'm the lead minister here. And um, today is gonna be a fun day because we're celebrating both baptism and communion, these these sacraments, these these signs of God's presence with us in our lives. And so we're gonna have an amazing celebration today. I also wanna wish you an early happy Independence Day and it is great that we can be here uh, freely worshiping Um, and and being together as a community of faith um, in that freedom. So uh, let's celebrate responsibly. No fireworks, huh? Huh? All right. Uh, (laughs) Like I said, we got baptism today, so we'll have a slightly shorter sermon than normal. But I also want to point out uh, today we have Fran Goodrich visiting us here, one of our missionaries that we support. There she is right there. Wave to her. um great to have her and her husband here with us this morning. And uh, we just have, a, we have a huge heart for missions, both here in, in California, but also all over the world. And so if you get a chance, please greet Fran and, and check in how she's doing, especially for those of you who've been involved in missions here at FCC for some time. Um, we're continuing our sermon series today on parables, these stories that Jesus told. Um, and the parables are usually, uh, our definition that we got from Webster at the beginning of this series, you might remember, they're usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or religious principle. Okay, that's the, the textbook definition. But today's parable comes, from, comes uh, to us from Matthew chapter 5, and it's a little different than the parables we've been studying. Up till now, all of our parables have been Jesus telling stories about different characters and speaking about them in the third person. And, and, and he's doing that to demonstrate a bigger point, but today there's no characters it's a little bit different. Actually, that's not true. There are characters, and it's us. Jesus speaks directly to us and says, you are. That's what this parable is about. It's a short and sweet one. It's familiar to many of us, but I'm excited to dig a little deeper into it this morning. So if you've got a Bible, a paper Bible with you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting at verse 13. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth, I love this passage. I've read it so many times. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is my favorite text uh, in the entire Bible. And um, I've read this a number of different ways over the years, and oftentimes it's like a good reminder to be moral people, right? But, but I was reading a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount written by Scott McKnight, and he, he, he had a different spin on it. He says the crux of this passage is that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's saying this passage is missional in nature. It's not just about being good people. It's about being on mission with Christ. This is toward the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in some ways, I think this could actually be the the entire thesis statement of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls us to be salt and light. And we'll dig into what that means. And he says for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the rest of Matthew 5 uh, through 7, he spends giving specific areas of our lives and, and ways in which we can be salt and light in these contexts. How do we live this out in real life, day-to-day life, every day? He breaks down these common areas of life that we experience, and he tells us to go be salt and light in those places. And this mission Jesus gives us has two components. Um, At least for the people of Israel, it had two components. Scott McKnight, like I said, digs a little deeper than we have time for today, but I'll summarize his thoughts this way. First, the word earth in verse 13 there is probably better translated as land. Not planet, land. And specifically the land that God promised Abraham and his descendants. The land uh, that that is given to the people of Israel. And what this means is that to be salt in the land is to be on mission toward the people of Israel. You see, what what had happened is is many people um, were were living under the assumption that Israel is God's people. I was born into uh, an Israeli family and therefore I am God's people no matter what. And he's saying, no, I didn't chose you because you're special. I chose you because I have a mission for you. And it's to bring the goodness of God to this land and to expand beyond that land. That was the the call of uh, uh, all throughout the Old Testament. Israel was called to be a people that demonstrate the one true God and his goodness. They always had this mission to the rest of the world. And Jesus is saying that mission applies to us. We have to remind ourselves of who God is, not just go through the religious motions, but actually connect with the one true and good God. And salt is an interesting thing. Like salt, like, what do you mean you want me to be salty? That's a weird kind of thing. But salt had so many purposes in this day. It was used to preserve meat, right? So that, that food would last longer. And in a place where, you know, food wasn't always freely available, that was really important. It purified, killed bacteria. It also adds flavor. Essentially, by talking about salt, Jesus isn't talking about just something I like to throw on my steak. He's talking about something that was a necessity of life. The world needs the goodness of God. I have demonstrated the goodness of God to you, my people, Israel, and you are to demonstrate that goodness to the world around you. That's what they were called to. That's what we are called to. You know, after 2,000 years of of church history, there are a lot of people who still go through the motions. They check religious boxes and they attend church and they do things, but that doesn't mean they know Jesus truly, right? Our mission is not just to the outside world, the others. It's also to ourselves. We need to be reminded constantly of the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that was the first piece, the land, right? There was a responsibility to the land to be salty, to preserve, to bring flavor, to bring the goodness of God. But then... He says, you're to be the light of the world, right? Light of the world. Light shines in darkness and shows the way, right? It shows the path to God. And again, we have this idea of the light of the world, but world doesn't mean planet. World was regularly a a word that was used by the Israelites to talk about the Gentile nations. We have the land, that's our land, our people. The world was everybody outside of this land, the Gentile nations, Okay, so now God is inviting. He's, you know this, is, this was pretty radical for its time. Jesus is saying, no, 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 it's not just about us here in the land. It's about the entire world. Every nation needs to see the light that leads to God. It does not stop at the borders of Israel. And eventually Jesus is going to call his people to take this mission to the ends of the earth. The One thing I find interesting about this passage, this, this call to be the light of the world, is that in the book of John, Jesus repeatedly calls himself the light of the world. He says, I am the light of the world. Look at John 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus is the light of the world, and now he's calling us to be the light of the world. Here's how I like to think about that. Okay, my wife, Adrian teaches uh, on out school, she teaches uh, science classes to kids all over the world, that's, that's what she does for a living, and she's really good at it. And I've learned more science by t- cooking in the kitchen while she's teaching in the other room than I learned throughout any of my formal education. Okay? I can tell you about dinosaurs, I got the solar system down, I got the water cycle down the one thing i really enjoyed learning about because now every time i look up at the moon i'm trying to figure out if i remember all my details but she teaches a class about the moon cycles and i never heard any of this before in my entire life and and this is what the moon cycles are okay you got your crescents your your um your quarters your gibbous you guys know about the gibbous you got your full moon right you got your new moon phase and and a new moon phase is the only time where an eclipse can happen okay we're going to do a quiz now let's see if you guys got that that's what she does at the end of all of her classes she does a kahoot to see if they remember all the information and they always do because she's an amazing teacher i love gibbous that's a great word isn't it um okay what does this have to do with being the light of the world well We're called to be the light of the world, the way the sun and the moon interact. The moon doesn't produce any light on its own. It simply reflects the light of the sun. Jesus is the sun. He's the light of the world. And our call is to reflect him to the world. And this has always been the call of humanity. If you go back to the creation narrative in Genesis, it says, we are made in the image of God. Male and female, he made them in his image. The Greek word for that is we are his icons. Icons. We are meant to be like him and reflect him to the world around us. From the very beginning, that was the whole purpose of humanity is to show all of creation what God is like. But we're not perfect, right? Sin gets in the way. We make mistakes. We're broken. We're not perfect. But that's another reason why I like the moon cycle analogy. The full moon gives the most light, right? It reflects the most amount of light that's when we're at our best, right? But but we're not always at our best. Maybe you're new to the faith and you're still trying to figure it out and you don't know what this means to actually reflect the light of Jesus. Maybe you're just going through a really hard time right now. And, And I know some are. And everything feels dark and it's hard to imagine being a source of light. How am I going to be a source of light? My life is totally up in the air right now. There's so much darkness around. Maybe you've just taken a step back, fell into old bad habits, and you feel like you're beating yourself up because you're like, man, I was on the right path. I was doing well, and now I feel like I'm back in that darkness. When Jesus is talking about this, he says, don't put your light under a bowl or a lampstand. I think of it this way. Don't be in total eclipse. We are going to stumble. We are going to make mistakes. We are not going to be perfect, but we are called to reflect the light of Jesus as best we can in all circumstances. What is the light? What does Jesus equate with the light? He says it shows up in our good deeds. This makes total sense, right? How can we say our God is good if there's no noticeable difference in us? Jesus doesn't say it's our perfect theology, our well-crafted arguments, our systematic belief system that will bring people to the light. He says, no, it's our good deeds. We put the goodness of God on display. And we shine the the light of God's love to others. We bring the goodness of God with us everywhere we go. That's how people see how good God is. Who knew the Bible the most during Jesus' time? It would have been the Pharisees and other religious leaders. Who did Jesus have the most harsh words for? The Pharisees and the religious leaders. Right? It wasn't because they didn't have their theology right, but because their theology didn't make its way into loving their neighbor as themselves. That's what it means to reflect the light of Christ. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to be a witness to the gospel of Jesus. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to be a, a, a light to the world around you, a mirror to reflect Jesus to those around you. What do you need? You need a story. We have the story of Jesus, but we have all sorts of other stories too. Just as we discussed earlier, there's stories where God put someone in our lives in a dark time to bring light. We probably all have many stories where where we, we needed the light of Jesus in our lives and he showed up for us in those times. How has he healed you? How has he grown you, rescued you, comforted you? We all have these stories of Jesus bringing light into our darkness. But as Jesus says in this passage... We don't just need stories and words, we need a life that demonstrates that story. A life that shows how our our lives are bringing life to others. At school, at work, in our sports teams, our friend groups, our family, other people in this church. As Jesus has shined like a light in your life, reflect that to others by sharing your stories and living out a story that reflects the love of Christ. We're going to turn to a time of baptism now, and I'm really excited. We have five of our church family getting baptized today, and in a minute, uh, our elder couple, uh, David and Emma Ramarine, are going to come, and they're going to read those stories in the order that the people are going to get baptized. And, and, and we pray for all five of you who are getting baptized today. We're so excited to celebrate this with you, but we pray. We pray that, that more and more... You're able to share the stories of of the light of Christ in your life. And more and more, you're able to continue to grow and reflect Jesus into other people's lives. A couple quick things about baptism before we get into it. First, baptism is about resurrection. Look at this passage from uh, Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurre- resurrection like his. Baptism is about resurrection. When the people getting baptized go under the water, they're going to come back under the water and they're saying, it's like going to the grave. They're saying, Jesus' death is for me. It's enough. My sins are forgiven because what he's done for me. When they come up out of the water, they're they're mimicking Jesus' resurrection. Because he lives, I too have a new life and will live in his presence for all eternity. That's, That's what baptism is about, resurrection. But it's not just individual. Baptism is about family. It's about unity. Look at this verse from Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, that's the church, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Baptism is related to this community. This being humble and gentle and patient with one another. When a when person gets baptized, they're saying, I am a part of this family. We're in this together. And when we celebrate them getting baptized, we're saying to them, you are a part of this family. We are in this together. It's a beautiful picture. So that's what we celebrate today. And here's how it's going to work. Uh, in a minute, David and Emma are going to come up and they're going to read stories in the order that people are getting baptized. And then we're going to go, the, the band's going to come up and lead us in worship. So these folks will be getting baptized while we're singing worship songs. So sing out with your heart. When they come up out of the water, dance a jig in the aisle, clap, make loud noises, whatever you do to celebrate. No fireworks. We already established that. Um, (laughs) and, And it's a celebration. And again, it's a commitment that we're in this together. It's a celebration. So let's celebrate as people get baptized, as we hear their stories and see what God is doing in and through them. And then uh, after a couple of songs and, and five baptisms, we're going to take communion together. Uh, Laura Lee's going to lead us through that, and uh, we'll sing one more song, and then we'll, we'll head out for the day and find ways to stay cool. <laughs> so let's, let's pray now um, over these baptisms and over ourselves as we, we want to commit to being the light of the world that Jesus has called us to be, to reflect his love, not just in this space here, but with everyone we come into contact today. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you for the reality that the light has shined in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You are that light, Jesus. You give light and life to this world where there was once death, pain, and destruction. You bring resurrection so that the old ways are gone and there's possibility of new and eternal life. God, help us to live resurrected lives filled with your spirit. As as our five family members are getting baptized today, our church family members are getting baptized today. God, we just ask that you would fill them with your spirit, the spirit that gives us the power to to display love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And may all of us, committed to you and committed to each other, be the best reflection we can be of you and your light and your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.